Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Your job as a, as a parent of a young child is to protect them. Your job as a parent of a 12-year-old and up is to prepare them. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 284. Today, we're talking about how to prevent troubled teen years with Erin Huey. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Hey, welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you're here today because this is a really important episode. We are talking about how to prevent the troubled teen years. And in just a moment, we're going to be sitting down with Aaron Huey, who is amazing guy. He's the founder of Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. He's host of the parenting podcast Beyond Risk and Back, and he helps parents navigate those beyond risk behaviors. But we're going to be talking about how to prevent them from getting into a place like Fire mountain that Aaron runs, right? Like, what do we do? What are the risk factors? Even if you have like toddlers, this is a really, really important episode for you to be listening to. We want to make sure they don't face the really troubled teen years that may follow them into adulthood, right? And so Aaron's going to share with us the reasons why kids make bad choices and give us strategies for raising our kids to thrive and, and never get 
that to a risk treatment center, hopefully, right? Or give you some ideas of how to deal if you are in that risky place. So I want you to listen for some really important takeaways, how the changes at home need to start with us. They need to start with the parents. How bad behavior is simply a child struggling to get their needs met. That's really the same whether your kid is two or is 17. And this is so fascinating how prioritizing our own self-care is the best way we can prevent our kids from struggling. I talk about this all the time. It was so affirming to hear Aaron talk about this in some of the most extreme cases. This is a really, really fascinating episode. You know, we're going to talk about some challenging things, so just be prepared. But this is so important. If you have young kids, if you have older kids, this is going to be the episode that you share around because it is so, so important how to help us, how to help kids. All the principles we talk about in here really support and bolster the work that we do in the Mindful Parenting membership because in the membership, we start with meaningful, mindful self-care, right? We start with that inner work. We do the inner work to calm your reactivity for you to model and show how to be at ease with all the varying things that life comes up with. So, you know, that really matters. And I just want to share this wonderful thing that a member recently wrote to me and said, I'm just feeling super grateful to be here on this journey and doing this course. She said, I usually don't suffer from anxiety, but my husband is fighting stage four cancer. And, you know, it's a really stressful time. It's this week, another scan. So, and the kids are overtired and suffering colds. So due to that, she missed two mornings of meditation and she felt it. And then she did two short meditations and just to ground herself again and did another 30 minutes in the morning. And she said, wow, I can totally feel the difference in myself from now to yesterday. She said, I had no idea how much meditating each day was benefiting me from this anxiety and the monkey mind until I wasn't able to do it. And she said, meditation is key. Yes. And so we teach you how to create your own meditation practice. We pair you up with an accountability buddy so that you are really accountable. You know, we don't want you to just get lost in the shuffle. We really want to support you. We teach you how to take care of all the difficult things that come up because that comes up. And we need to really be able to regulate ourselves if we ever want to help our kids regulate themselves. Okay, so if you want to know more, you want to go deeper with that, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com, get on the wait list. We'll let you know when we open the membership. And that's all I got to say about that. Let's dive into this conversation with Erin Huey. Erin, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. It's My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I had so much fun talking to you for your podcast and you seem like such like an intriguing person that, that I had to have you on and, and you do great work in the world. So which we're going to tell parents about, I'm excited about kind of like diving into that. But first I, I, I know you're in this, like you're in this helping and healing space with me. You work with at-risk teens. This is not like, a, most people don't say like, please, I would like to like go work with like at-risk teens who are having major issues in their lives. What, what brought you to, what brought you to this, this work and what you're doing? 
Uh, my relationship with my work is essentially an opportunity to reconcile my past. I mean, it's it's the it's the quintessential twelfth step is that you finally, once you finally understood the message of recovery, then you spend the twelfth step taking that message of hope to people who are still struggling with addiction or mental health issues, uh, of which I struggled with both. So this is the give back. This is the great. Um, I saw I saw a piece this morning that said people in recovery say I love you a lot. And that's because they understand what it's like not to love yourself. And so they're reminding you that other people can love you. And I thought there's another piece to that. It's also reminding yourself when you say I love you a lot, that you are loving. Because I did not feel loving as a parent who was an addict or as a child whose father abandoned him or who was sexually assaulted by his best friend or who was bullied mercilessly. I, mercilessly, I did not feel like a loving person. And of course, I didn't feel loved. I did not feel lovable. But that loving piece, that active principle on Am I worthy of being loving? Does does my love matter to others? Um, not just am I loved by others, but does it matter that I love others? That's huge. And that's the 12th step is when you realize it matters that you love. And that's that's a big piece. So that's what this part of my life has been about is being loving, loving enough to go into the shadows with families who are really, really hit the wall and don't know how to get away from that wall uh, and help them, help them flip around and see the other side. Wow. There's so much there that I'm interested in. I've always been really interested in the 12th step programs because I don't, I don't, um, I don't have any personal experience with it, but it seems like so, um, uh, so effective for so many people and your own story sounds like you had a lot of, a lot of suffering and, and challenge, but before we dive into any of that, I just want you to just tell people, what do you do? Well, and, uh, I started running kids camps. I, I ran a martial arts school that turned into an after school program called warrior camp, uh, which turned into a summer camp. And then we wanted to make sure, uh, girls were feeling the experience of the warrior, but also, uh, truly honoring their goddess. So we created a second camp to run simultaneously called the warrior goddess camp. And these were overnight programs. Uh, that led into superhero camp and, and jester camp and wizard camp and bard camp because we were <laughs> trying to get all of the archetypes. And then from there, we started doing teen rite of passage programs. And I started coaching teens in sobriety uh, or trying to get sober. And that, of course, turned into working with their parents. And at some point during the teen rite of passage, parents just saying, can my kid come live with you? And my wife and I were like, Yeah. And literally, in 2005, when we said, I'm sorry, in 2009, because we started the kids camps in 2004 and five, and in 2009, we were like, yeah, we'll take your kid. A week later, we had six boys and a waiting list of four more. And we were like, what is going on here? So we started in earnest running a teen sober home for boys. Uh, and then in 2011, started working with insurance so families could be supported by these 
ungodly fees they pay out of their paychecks each month. And uh, in 2013, uh, we bought a facility. The sober home model turned into a full-blown residential treatment center model. And uh, we now have one of the most successful adolescent treatment centers in the United States uh, with, a, with one of the highest success rates in the United States. Yay. And I will say out of the gate that that's because of the work we do with parents. The work we do with kids is awesome. We do very cool crap with kids. Very, very cool stuff. But what makes us successful is that the parents have made the changes they need to make so the kids can bring their changes home. No child change can survive a stagnant family system. The family mm -hmm. system has to change. And that's been our focus since we began working with teens is educating the parents. And that's where our success comes from is for parents saying, all right, do me next. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we do. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, that's amazing. I love that warrior camp, warrior goddess camp, rites of passage. Aaron, there's like five bazillion things I want to ask you yeah. about. That's so ADHD. So uh... <laughs> there's that's so fascinating. But it all kind of circles around um, this the this the suffering and a, a addiction and the suffering that kind of happens with that. Um, it, it's when did you when did you move into your own 12-step program? So I got sober on May 21st, 1998, um, and went to my first meeting uh, that night. I had, a, I had a deeply spiritual experience. I was very spiritual. This was late in my life. I was a minister already, um, and uh, a minister who was using quite a bit. And uh, that night went to my first meeting. Uh, and those, those parents who are listening, moms who are listening, who've been through the 12 steps, you're going to laugh at me because I was told as I went in that it was a speaker's meeting. So naturally, I assumed they meant I was going to talk, you know, that I was the speaker. This is my <laughs> first meeting ever. So I went to go speak. And this big biker guy yanked me back down at my chair. And I turned to swing on him and he said, just sit down and shut the F up for once in your life. You might learn something. And he was completely unfazed by the fact that I had my fist cocked, ready to punch him. So I sat down and I listened and the guy got up and told my story. And that biker became my sponsor. Now, what I will say about the 12 steps is it wasn't the steps in my mind that got me sober. I did the steps. But it was the people in those rooms, the people who said, I love you, the people who proved it by spending time with me, the people who comforted me in my tears and shame and then shared mm. with theirs. The transparency of the 12 steps and the people in those rooms was, was the most inspirational aspect of the work. And that's what I've carried forward. Um, so it wasn't the steps. It was the people for me. So community's always been a important to Fire Mountain. Uh, we, could, we call it the bear tribe. And even the kids in the old warrior camps or the teens who are going through our recovery program, which I need to say is we are dependency second. We're mental health. We have never and will never call a child an addict. Mm -hmm. Never. That is completely inappropriate in my mind. And I've worked with plenty of teenagers who are addicts, but it's not my place to call them that. Um, Why? 
Well, there's a there's a couple reasons. Number one, uh, developmentally, truly being addicted to something is is something that happens to us later in life. And to me, it, addiction is a maladaptive coping strategy that becomes a habit. Let me say that again, a maladaptive coping strategy that becomes a habit. That can be mayonnaise, Hunter. That I mean, if, if you put mayonnaise on everything because it makes you feel better and then pretty soon it, it starts raising your cholesterol and your life's threatened by it, but you can't stop, that's addiction. So video games, marijuana, social media, friends, heroin, cutting, shopping, all of it. Anything can be addictive. And so I don't see myself as qualified to look at a child, 12 to 17 years old, and go, well, you're addicted to weed. Like, that's a setup for defensiveness. But if a child says, I think I'm addicted to fill in the blank, you can, you can ally with them. And you can have that conversation. But I'm not in the business we're, we're in the business of trauma. We're in the, that's the gateway drug is trauma. We're in the business of mental health issues. That's the gateway is, is epigenetics realizing that, you know, great, great grandmother, just your grandmother was in, you know, the, the, the Holocaust, like the, the family dragon is what gets brought to our treatment center. And that's what gets dealt with. Not, mm. My child smoking too much pot. That's a result. We need to find the influence, not his group of friends, not her social media use. Those are results too. The prime influence that led to the experiences, that led to the thoughts, which led to the feelings, which led to the actions, which led to the results. Parents come in with actions and results. We got to get them to influence and experience. And that's stuff that could have happened in utero or pre-child's existence. We got to deal with that stuff. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. You're talking about generational patterns and you're talking about how how trauma is passed down through generations and kind of looking at, you know, uncovering like kind of beyond beyond the behavior, what's driving the behavior beyond even maybe the circumstances you're looking at. Like I'm having this pattern. I see that my parents have this pattern. It sounds like, it sounds very similar to me in some ways. Like, you know, we talk about this in mindful parenting a lot in our our second module, we're diving into like understanding your own childhood and understanding your own problems, because if we don't make these things conscious, then we're we're acting from them, right? Like we don't have any choice, but to act from sort of these unconscious things. So it sounds like you're kind of like diving into these, these things that are below the surface too. How do, how do you, how do you help kids dive below? How do you help them uncover sometimes these, these patterns that maybe even started before they were born? Well, first thing you do is that before you have a psychiatrist to put them on any meds, and I have a psychiatrist that works for me. We employ Western medicine and Eastern philosophy. And all we teach martial arts, Tai Chi, meditation, holistic diet. Like, like we're, we use all that stuff, but we also have a psychiatrist. But before our psychiatrist is going to put a child on any medication, we do a genetics test. We do a neurotransmitter test. We have... Isn't it, isn't it nuts that if you fall and hurt your arm and you go to the hospital, the first thing they do is what? X-ray it? I don't know. What do they do? Yeah. 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 I don't know what happened. You can say I fell. I heard a loud snap and my Mm -hmm. arms are it's misshapen. So they X-ray it. Yeah. How could we not do that with a child's brain when they're like, something's not working. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm, I have addictive tendencies. I'm ADHD. I, my child's borderline. My child's bipolar. My child's take a picture of the brain. Like, mm. Go do the x-ray of the brain. Find out what is actually a genetics test will show you what's not firing. And that to the child automatically gives them the the recognition that this may not be about willingness. This may be about capability. So often parents get so upset as the child's choices and, oh, they're making bad choices. No, they're not. They are fulfilling needs based on what they have to work with. And that could be environmental chaos, neurological chaos, a system failure, like a social system, a family system, a school system, a political system, and it could be an epigenetic failure. Something that happened to great grandpa has changed the family's genetic expression. 
-hmm. And your kid is now speaking the language of the family behavior. This child's behavior is the family language being spoken out loud. So we can't say bad choices if every choice we make is an expression of need. If it, all we're doing is trying to get safety, uh, uh, connection, uh, power, safety, freedom, connection, worth. Those are the five human needs. And there's a developmental order of them. You, you know, safety's first and then power. That's the terrible twos. And then connection and then freedom. That's generally in our 20s, late teens and 20s. And then worth. And Hunter, that's what you and I are dealing with. But you can have those needs at all times. We We... We ask the kids, and I use this story a lot, why do you smoke? Why do you smoke cigarettes? Why do you even start smoking cigarettes? And the kids, here's why we ask the question, because a lot of the kids come into my facility and they, they have, they've been smoking cigarettes and they dicked it and they wore story. I smoked three packs. I smoked 12 packs a day, blah, blah, blah. But they've been growing up since elementary school with signs on the walls that say, don't smoke. It's going to kill you. It makes your teeth turn yellow, your clothes smell, you lose taste, blah, blah, blah. Why do you smoke? The kids give the same answers every single time. Well, it's like I get to take a break from my life and I, I go outside and I hang out with my friends. Well, Hunter, if you came to me and you said, Aaron, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. Life's just smacked me across the face and I'm this and, and my work and my, my family and on and on and be like, okay, Hunter, time out. Here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's my prescription. I want you to just take a break from everything and you need to find a support group. All right. I need you to get outside and start hiking, you know, and move your body. And, and I also want, I'm going to add one more thing. I want you to take deep breaths. Didn't I just describe smoking? <laughs> so yeah. you found a way to meet the need of power freedom, freedom from the pain they're dealing with the stress they're dealing with connection. They're hanging out there outside with friends this is this is all everything we do is need fulfillment so there are no bad choices there are risky choices smoking cigarettes is risky that's a risky way to get needs met but stop calling them bad i i would never assume as a parent coach that if a parent called me and said so my kids screamed punch a hole in the wall so i ripped their cell phone out of, out of their hand and i threw it down the driveway i wouldn't say well that was a bad choice I would say, what needs did you doing that fulfill? And we would have that conversation because that's a journey inward. That's a journey towards their experience, their feelings, their thoughts, their influences. And that's where the work actually happens. Yes. Yes. I mean, you're pointing people away from judgment, which is like, it's a, like a dead end, like it's a character assessment and then it's a dead end. And what do you do from there into curiosity and understanding, which is that's where you can then move, you, know, you can do some things with. I love that, you know, you're saying even for you know, we talk about this, like with the little kids, right? Like that there's not, it's not bad behavior. It's just like trying to get needs met. And you're, you're, you're saying this, like, it's the same exact thing with a, a struggling teen who's like going off the wall that this, it's not bad behavior. They're just trying to get needs met. Um, it's the same for the parents too. Yeah. Everything a parent does is trying to get needs met. 
Yeah. And I, and I love this point of um, willingness instead of capability, like willingness versus capability, because we're, we kind of get trapped in this, um, in this conversation of like willpower and choice in this country where we think everything is willpower and choice. But as we start to understand like the way we work as humans, like as we start to understand our, 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 our nervous system, our biology, our genetics, uh, the causes and conditions that we grow up with, all of those things, um, you know, it, we, yeah, we're just, we're trying to, you know, there's a certain capability to get needs met and there's certain avenues that are available to us that we are trying to get needs met. At. And I think that shifting that conversation away from like your willingness or your choice is, and just kind of understanding it more, um, more clearly, uh, you know, understanding the whole human biology and the whole human animal is like so much more productive than to say it's something about like your choice, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't see any child in our facility being there because they chose to be there. No, no child was like, well, three years from now, I want to be in treatment. By golly, I'm going to set up my life. No, <laughs> I, I kind of liken it to the COVID experience is that none of us had this in our five-year plan. Like this is this is something that happened to us. Family dragons happen to families. Computer systems can get hacked from the outside. So we can talk about responsibility as much as we'd like. You are responsible for keeping your computer healthy and up and running. I got hacked. You know what? That happens emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially in life is that we get hacked. And to look at a child's experience, the, the results from being hacked by having a dragon attack their village, and it could be a family dragon, could be a brand new dragon, could be a trauma none of us saw coming that just completely undermines our child's experience. They go to a party, she drinks too much, and some boys assault her. Like, that is not something that we planned on. But then to say what she does because of that, the actions and results that come from having an experience like that are bad choices infuriates me because every look, Hunter, when I was high, I was happy. And when I was sober, I was suicidal. So tell me how logical it is to be sober. But that's when we talk about you, you're making bad choices. I got to get high so that I can stay alive. I'm a dad. I, I'm, I'm trying to go to work today. I hate myself. I hate my life. And you're telling me I should quit the one thing that makes me happy? Well, your, your child should make you happy. Being a father should. Yes, but it doesn't. Because the hole inside of me can only be filled by pretending there's no hole. And the only way I am capable, not willing, capable of pretending there's no hole is to blitzkrieg my own brain with a behavior that's making everybody else miserable. But it doesn't make me miserable until that one moment that the cost of my behavior outweighed the payoff, right? This is, it, these choices are, are cost and payoff. What, we, what we're doing gives us more than what it costs us until the one day it doesn't. And that's rock bottom. Can you manufacture rock bottom as a parent? Sure, you have been practicing your, your child's entire life 
to practice them hitting rock bottom. You will let their behavior go on so long and then you cut it off. You set a boundary. And sometimes we set those emotional boundaries. What did you do? I said, you stay in your room until it's clean. Go. I'm talking like a, a firm parent. I'm not angry at my kid. I'm Maybe I'm angry at my husband. Maybe I'm angry that, you know, what happened on, on The Bachelor wasn't what I wanted to happen. Maybe I didn't sleep enough last night because my kid's not sleeping. So I set this emotional boundary and it affects our children until it doesn't, until the cost of them ignoring our emotional leverage is no longer as big as the payoff. And then they start to talk back. Now we either escalate we come up with ways that our children actually experience consequence that teaches them the lesson that we were trying to teach them with our emotions. See, when your children become teenagers, your emotions are no longer leverage. That's the, that's the hardest thing for parents to learn. I think I would... When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Disagree in that if you have not been using destructive power methods all the way along and your kids aren't resenting you then you and you still have that connection then your emotions then they when if they still care about your emotions and you're still you have still have that you know if you haven't been using that destructive power you still have that influence there's an I, inverse relationship between power and influence. Certainly, certainly, as a parent, if you have not been abusing the emotional leverage concept, mm -hmm. you're allowed to have feelings. You're allowed to express your feelings. How you express them in a healthy way is, you know, emotionally intelligent. Where does an emotional intelligence stop is the question. And, and you know, watching the work that you do, Hunter, the, the, the whole point is to maintain an emotional intellectual growth. 
But when your child, and I'm not going to say but, I'm going to say and, when your child mm -hmm. suddenly has a traumatic experience mm -hmm. and they start doing things like sneaking out in the middle of the night and you thought you had this incredible relationship that you had spent all these years building, but you don't know what actually happened to him. You don't understand why this brilliant, beautiful boy is now spending 12 to 17 hours on a video game. And, and you, you start losing sleep and you stop taking care of yourself. And you're not doing what I call the fab five, which is good sleep, uh, body movement, healthy food, drinking water and breathing on purpose. Like those are the five foundation points of emotional intellect. Let one of them go and the whole house starts to teeter, right? You're not drinking enough water that starts to collapse the conscious breathing part that collapse. I, I, I liken this to the little kid in the grocery store throwing the fit in the cereal aisle. No one immediately stops to think, and I'm not just talking about the parent, I'm talking about everybody else in the store, that this kid might actually be having a blood sugar crash, mm -hmm. right? Which is most likely what that is. Mm -hmm. The kid's throwing a fit on the floor, How's dad doing when he's standing there watching this kid throw a fit on the floor? Has he been running from one errand to another? And he's thinking about work and he's thinking about the other kids at school and he's thinking about, and now this kid's throwing a fit and other parents are looking at him going, oh, 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 oh poor guy. He's like, God, just get up. And that's not emotionally intelligent. So we, we, the, the miss is coming from when extreme emotional experience happen, when your kid punches a hole in the wall in front of you, when you take away their cell phone, what's then? Can you, can you still access that emotional intell intellect? If so, awesome. What I work with the parents who go, okay, now what? <laughs> well, that's a, that's probably a lot of us are saying, okay, now what? So Aaron, you're, you're pointing to, the incredible vit vital importance of our own self-care. And I'm so glad you brought that up in the context of a child who's like a teen or someone who's like a struggling with big extreme things that, you know, dear listener, if you've got a, a two or three-year-old, this is like, oh my goodness, I hope I never am having to deal with this. But I think this is an incredibly important conversation because you might, right? So, and when you get to that stage, what Aaron is saying is that your self-care, those five things, that still is incredibly important. But I'd want to kind of like rewind a little bit and look at this, this idea of like, how can we prevent this, right? Like you're describing... For the parent who's got a young kid, or for me, anyone who's got some kids, you're describing some, you know, if we haven't already gotten there, like we're, we're some really frightening scenarios that we don't want to get to, right? So we want to prevent with every ounce of our being, right? So what are some of the ways that we can prevent our kids struggling so deeply? I mean, assuming that, you know, I don't, I don't know what we're assuming here, but what are some ways we can prevent it? You know, there are a lot. And what's amazing is that 95% of them are absolutely free. And all the research that talks about preventative measures for at-risk behavior, for when your kid hits 12, and boy, is that a magical age. But when 12-year-old comes, have you put things in place so that we can end up in an experience more likened to what you're talking about, where you do still have leverage with your emotions, that when something makes you sad, your teenager is going, 
whoa, I affect this world. I, my my self-concept and my attitude vibrates outward like a pebble in a pond and is radiating to my whole family. There are ways to set that up. And it's, it's why I think it's so important to talk to your listeners about prevention, because it is my sincere hope that none of them ever have to meet me. My entire process, my entire work now that I have this wonderful facility, this amazing staff, and this podcast to to help educate parents who are dealing with teens that struggle is to now prevent someone ever needing to listen to my podcast or call my facility. And so the the absolute number one is self-care. It is the absolute number one preventative measure because it is teaching your child Okay, let's set aside all the personal benefits of self-care being your priority, that you feel better, that that you have self-concept that is is based, that is increasing self-esteem and self-worth, right? That you are, your concept of self is that you love it and you're going to take care of it. The, The benefits of that, you just being healthy and having long life and dealing with illness and sickness and emotional stress in such a way that reflects what someone who takes care of themselves But then the second thing is to then tend to your adult relationships. You see, we have to put children third. If I don't have a support team. Aaron, hold on. You said put aside the idea that of all the benefits to yourself, what Uh, are the benefits to our kids? Yeah, yeah. That they're watching you prioritize health. And that's the modeling that they're going to grow up with is that my health is a priority. My self-care is a priority. And and I will I thank you for bringing me back to that because I would have ADHD'd right past it. <laughs> but but I am watching my daughter go through a struggle in her life that is something that daddy can't come. She's 25. She's about to turn 26. I can't come in for the swoop. This is not for the rescue now. And I watch both my daughter, who's 25, my son, who's 24. When life gets tough, they immediately go to movement. My son is like, I, I got to go skateboarding. My daughter says, I got to hit the gym and I'm going to go to therapy. And my, like, that's what my wife and I modeled was self-care. Now, the second, <laughs> um, the second thing we, we modeled is adult relationships. That you have a partner, you have a parenting partner, a spouse, uh, a support group of other adults that you can take your huge things and turn around and walk into this room and go, God, have that massive emotional overwhelm venting session, not with your kids. But then when you can turn around and you can come back to your kids because you've tended to your adult relationships, these people who can go, wow, that was huge energy. How are you doing now? Here's some strategies I saw. Here's some of this. And here's something I tried. And then you're working this out with the adults and you go back to the kids. And of course you can express the emotion. Oh my God, I was so scared and I was so angry. And so I really had to go to my support group and really talk about what that was like when you did that thing. And I came back with some strategies and I'd like to talk to them about, uh, talk with you about them on Thursday or Friday, which day works with you. And I can deliver that connection before correction. I can deliver alliance before compliance that I am making sure I am connected to my children before I go in and try to correct anything. And then third, then I prioritize what's going on with my children. So take care of yourself first, 
your adult relationship second, and your children third, because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children. Those things are free. The next thing, and this is something that Stanford, Harvard, anybody who has any sense to them will understand why this free thing will prevent child at-risk behavior. Family dinner. <laughs> it is... It is something that has been proven time and time again, that that time of connecting, that time of not talking about work and homework or arguing, no screens. And I mean that not for the children, I mean for the whole family, no screens, put them down, put them away, look each other in the eye, start having the conversation, no screens, no TV in the background. You want to play music? Great. Stimulates a different part of the brain. Play nice jazz music. Play, you know, have have dinner night where each each kid gets to decide which music we are listening to for dinner, and then you get to talk about. That's a new subject. Get a box of table topic cards off from Amazon. I I, I make nothing by promoting them, and I have every single set. And the kids up at our facility use table topics, and it's just a box full of questions, and you just talk. So that's. That's the strategy, family dinner. The next thing is knowing your children's friends' parents. Mm. Got to know your community. You got to know the parents of the kids that your kid is hanging out with. Get to know them. Set up a coffee date, even if it's on Zoom because we're in a pandemic. But when it's not, set up a coffee date. Get to know them. Check your values. Check their values. Talk about how you can align to co-parent and parent like a community again. Third thing, something for your kid to do between three o'clock and seven o'clock. There's too much screen time. We know this. We don't have to beleaguer, beleaguer, belliger, be belligerent and beleaguer this point. We know there's too much time spent on screens. So if we're going to avoid that, something for your child to do between three o'clock and seven o'clock between school and dinner. Now, the, Talking to a good friend of mine, John Duffy, who's a uh, a, a teen expert, um, he talks, and this is, it, I think this is an interesting shift that happens like in, in you know, in mindful parenting, uh, we talk about sort of simplifying and kind of reducing the, our schedules, like simplifying our schedules is kind of, but then as, and, and for little kids, we re, they, little kids really need that free play time. They really need that unstructured time. But as teens, they really need that structure, right? Like that's what we're moving into in my own family is like that my daughter's 11, right? Like we need those structured activities are really the things that provide, because, you know, as teens, their brains are pretty chaotic, right? So they need, this is when they kind of need some structure. Would you yeah, agree? And, and I absolutely. And again, it starts around 12 years old where mm -hmm. we and it doesn't matter whether they're playing Magic the Gathering or they're playing sports. That is irrelevant. What is relevant is that they're in community. Mm -hmm. like, see, part of, part of the connection piece of, of the need is that children have to develop self-concept, not based on what the parents or the teacher is saying, but what the other kids are saying. That is developmentally appropriate. As much as we hate that as parents, well, I don't like the, the children my, my kid hangs out with. Right. You know, other parents are saying that about your kid, right? Stop saying that. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. That's not the prime influence we're worried about. That's a result of, of uh, prime influence collapse. All right. This bad group of friends my kid is hanging out with. I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm saying that 
don't talk about children like that because yeah. they're struggling to find self-concept as well. And they're hanging out with your kid. You said prime influence collapse. What is that then? Prime influence collapse is when you have a primary care provider who maybe they're mentally ill or they're dealing with addiction or they're abusive or they're assaultive or they're that level of prime influence collapse. You're an adopted child, an abandoned child, things like that. That's prime influence collapse. And that's way down at the bottom of the iceberg, whereas results are is way up at the top. We see partial feelings, actions, and results. That's what you see above the waterline on an iceberg, partial feelings, actions, and results. Underneath is where we see the hidden feelings, the thoughts, the experiences of life, and prime influence. And that's where therapy goes. Okay. All right. So w- uh, just for this... I'm going to recap a little bit here because we talked about a bunch of different things. So I asked how to prevent this, how to prevent getting your kids into a treatment center for at-risk behaviors and all kinds of things that your kids are dealing with, like suicide and depression and and drug abuse and things like that. So how to prevent that? Number one is our own self-care. Number two is our own adult relationships and our ability to connect, process feelings, all of that with adults. Number three was, you said, our relationship with our children. Yeah, the connection before correction, really, truly connecting with your children before you try to correct behavior. And you're always going to try to correct behavior. So we don't leave that out. We just say it's connection first. It's alliance before compliance. I like that. I I love both of those. And then number four is family dinner. Table topics. Uh, number five, knowing your children's friends' parents, yes. which is really interesting. It's so like during this COVID time, I'm like trying, I'm meeting some friends' parents of my 14 year old. And like, I don't even know what they look like because we met at a scout ski event and like they got a gator on, a ski mask, and a helmet. That could be anybody under there. I have no idea. But anyway, <laughs> number five six number that was number five and number six was like something to do between three to seven for your kids to do that is not on screens yeah and yes. then and then the seven community yeah the seventh one is the real education the real honest to god education about mental health and about how drugs and alcohol and cigarettes affect brain development mm-hmm. and that doesn't always have to be on the parents but we can't rely on schools to provide. But, but you know, dare to say no, our, the program when we were kids, that mm-hmm. didn't work because they tried scare tactics. The scared straight model has failed. Oh, yeah, completely. Because I remember it would say your brain is going to turn into scrambled eggs. And then I watched my friends and their brains did not turn into scrambled eggs. And they did not turn into like people on the street from smoking pot a couple of times. And I was like, hmm, okay, well, that's BS. You know, I remember thinking that. So understanding the true science as a parent behind it, you know, so when your, your young team brings you all the reasons why marijuana is not addictive that you understand what THC actually, which neurotransmitter, and it's actually a neuromodulator that it copies in the brain. Like this is, well, it's not addictive. I can tell you as an addict that I acted like a junkie around marijuana. I don't care whether marijuana is addictive. I know what THC does to a developing brain and what it does to an adult brain. And you have to really know the real science behind it, not just the, the 
Mm. What am I, the, the hype on either side. It does not turn your brain to scrambled eggs, but it is absolutely not harmless. You need to know the truth. So we need to get educated about it. And that may be for you. If your, your teen comes to you with this, you know, marijuana is not addictive. You might need to say, Hmm, I don't know about that. Let me think about that. And you might have to go do some research and that's okay. And let's say, let's put, let's have this conversation again in a couple of days. I want to learn more about it. And I'm curious. So bringing that curiosity rather than judgment, but I think it, you, it all kind of goes back to, you know, you talked about mayonnaise, um, a maladaptive coping strategy, right? Yeah. I mean, what you didn't have Aaron was you had a lot of suffering in your life and you didn't have coping strategies, right? So amazing parents. I had incredible, my mom and my dad, my dad was not my father, but Mm -hmm. the two of them were so progressive and hardworking and connective. My, my dad was at every stupid violin concert and hockey game. He was affectionate. He was not my father. I never said that to him. He never treated me anything like his son. Same alcohols in their liquor cabinet that was there when I was a little kid. They still don't know that that vodka is mostly water. Why? How did that happen? Yeah. It's, it's much deeper than just being a good parent. I had amazing parents. and I turned into an addict. Mm. What do you, as you've wrestled with that question throughout your life, what conclusions have you come to? Abandonment, assault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the end, right? Yeah, it's 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 the trauma. Trauma's the gateway, and 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 there's a it if if there's anything to look for as a parent of a young child, your job as a as a parent of a young child is to protect them. Your job as a parent of a twelve year old and up is to prepare them, and that line it's it's so hard to know when it's time to switch to protect them from society that really could give a crap about your child's safety. It's very clear that this world does not care about your child's life as much as you do. But at some point around 12, 13 years old, you got to start preparing them to live in that world. And that is a strategic on purpose, conscious experience to have with your child, to literally have those conversations and make those changes to your parenting so that they get ready to experience the real world on the real world's terms. Because I'll guarantee you, this, this real world is not on mom or dad's terms. Mom and dad, they love you. They want to protect you. The world does not. So I'm curious about kind of like what you would be specifically talking about when you talk about that, because I think of like kind of preparing our child for the real world is something that kind of happens all the way along at different levels and stages. You know, I cross the busy street at the end of my street with my child and then I say, okay, now you tell me when to cross and then we cross together and eventually she crosses, right? So that's in so that's kind of an example of kind of preparing for the physicality of the real world. We also, you know, we introduce like the news and things like that as things sort of like come along and we have discussions about things in an age appropriate way. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, it is. And, and I think as a mindful mother, uh, you're, you're very aware of the preparation process. I'm sorry, the protection process that includes the preparatory uh, aspects And there's a line where we stop calling the teachers and asking about our kids' homework. 
There's a yeah. line where we stop, you know, giving them allowance because they exist and we start giving them allowance and bills. And there, they, it's, it, there's, it's a, it, it can be game like, but it's still a beginning process where they go, none of my other parents, friends, parents do this. And you're like, I know that's so sad. So here's your electric bill. And it's, you know, and it's age appropriate, but it's an experience for them to start realizing that money comes at a cost and that your grades, while, uh, you know, that their grades are their work and not your work. And that I ended the homework battle with my kids in middle school. It, we never discussed it unless they came to us and said, I need some help with math. Do you need a tutor or do you just need Chris to help you? No, I need Chris to help me. Okay, no, now I think I need a tutor. Done. Like you're always there as an ally to have their back. But at some point you have to say, you got to come to me because the schoolwork is becoming my problem. Yeah, yeah. It's your kid's problem. Aaron, you're speaking my language. You're totally <laughs> speaking my language. I talk about this. <laughs> We've had this conversation, mindful parenting and homework is kids is not your problem. It's your kid's problem. Whose problem is it? It's really important to not take on all our kids' problems. And that's why we have a whole, we have a whole list of age appropriate life skills, including yeah. like changing tires and stuff. As you get older, my 14 year old makes dinner once a week. So, uh, you know, yeah. like things like that, like, yeah, we got to do that stuff. And part of that is our mental health education. But the biggest part of that mental health education, I would wonder if you agree with me on this, Aaron, is that modeling? Is that like what you said, like that your own self-care, your own taking care of your feelings, your own take move in your body and all of those, those five things. That you said. To, to, to point a finger at a child's maladaptive coping strategy and saying, well, that's a risky choice. But then you come home from a brutal day at work and two and a half glasses of wine later, Netflix goes, are you still watching? Because you've just binged watched, you know, 15 episodes of the, the great, the, the amazing race or something like that, which I love, but that's your maladaptive coping strategy modeling. When I, when I teach the, the parents weekend and my parents weekend that I do for the families of the kids who are in our facility is free to anyone. Any parent can participate in it. Mm -hmm. And I ask, you know, so I'll have 25 parents in the room and another 60 on Zoom. And I'll ask, raise your hand if you remember a life-changing lecture your parents gave you. Not one hand goes up. But if I say, how many of you made decisions on how you were going to be as an adult based on what your parents did or did not do? That's 100% buy-in. Yeah. So it's not about your content or the quality of your lecture. And for me, it wasn't a lecture. I was proselytizing. I was not a teacher father. I was a preacher father. And another thing in the universe and the God and the goddess oh, no. and blah, blah, blah. I was, my, my kids were like, <laughs> so it had to be about what we modeled because now that they're 24, 25, about to be 25 and 26, it's very clear what we modeled financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, mm -hmm. physically. I can see it in my kids because my habits became theirs. That is how the family dragon gets passed down through expression, not through attitude, not through choice, not through avoidance. Because if you, 
if you, I'll use this as a, as one of the, the final story examples. If something happened to you as a parent where you were brutalized by someone wearing khaki pants and a red shirt, like they, they hurt you deeply and traumatically. And then you go to a certain big box store and all the employees are wearing khaki pants and red shirts. Your amygdala that has no timeline says alarm, we're in danger. So now you're walking around in your tents, you're tight, you're scared, but you also have a toddler in the cart in front of you. You have to ask yourself, how is the thing that traumatized you affecting them? Are you really hiding it? When, when more than 78% of our communication is body language, tell me what you're actually hiding from your child. When all the cues we have to live on is based on actions we take every single day. If you're scared of snakes and you're walking with your toddler and you see a snake and you yank their arm and pull them into you, scream and run, what do you think your child is going to have as an experience for snakes? And that, that's how it's passed down is through unconscious modeling. Your conscious modeling is only as effective as how often you are conscious of your actions and behavior. Everything else is unconscious modeling. And we have to recognize that and do that self-healing, self-love, self-care work to say, what am I truly modeling? Because I'll tell you, those of you with toddlers, those of you with little kids, thank the gods that you are doing your work now. Because <laughs> I was high when my daughter was a toddler and I wasn't doing any work. And I was not, I was avoiding connection as much as I could. And I was avoiding my discomfort and I was avoiding my pain. And it's not until now that here I am watching my daughter at the age that I was when I was using, 25, 26, 27, 28, and watching how that plays out in tiny little unconscious ways. And she is so much more evolved than I was. She is my evolutionary step but I still see it in my son and in my daughter, these things that I didn't know that I was modeling. Mm. And so if you want a teenagerdom, if you want a teen who still holds you close and you still hold them close, you model connection, you model self-care, you model support groups and a healthy community. And you model taking care of things once you are taken care of so that they know that at least they can fall back on it. The other payoff to self-care, and this is the hardest ones that I have to tell parents of teenagers. This is one of the hardest things I have to say to a teen parent. Your teenager may not survive what they're going through. Now, let me, let me say, I work with the kids with multiple suicide attempts, kids who have been trafficked, kids who are, are completely dependent on maladaptive coping strategies that are destroying their life. And I have to look at the parents and say, your teen may not survive this, but you have to. And so what does it take? Because you surviving chaos is modeling to your child how to survive chaos. And at the end, that might be the only thing they can take in. Because even as a teenager who's 12 hours in their room on social media is still paying, on, paying attention to the strongest nervous system in the house. It has to be you, parents. Mm. I'm just taking that in, Aaron, and I can feel the the heart and the 
intensity behind your message and it's so important you know what could be more important yeah oh wow Aaron I'm I knew I invited you here for a reason yeah. <laughs> oh man you're making my 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 heart feel a lot and um and I'm really glad you came and you shared your your passion and your experience and your um the things you've learned from your suffering um truly um you've made a lotus out of your mud and i i think that's that's true right um so i i want to thank you for um for coming for sharing your voice for all the things I want to, I'm curious to hear the, the takeaways you have, dear listener, Aaron, where can people find out more about you? God forbid that they need your services <laughs> or they know yeah. someone who does. <laughs> I, I, I hope we never meet again. I'll just say that with all the love in my heart. I hope we never meet again, but if you need me, I'm here and you can find me. Uh, my podcast is called beyond risk and back. And uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, you can find me free on Facebook on Parenting Teens That Struggle. You can also go to ParentingTeensThatStruggle.com. And if you do have a child that you're wondering if they do need treatment or if you know someone who's looking for treatment for their child, uh, my residential treatment center is called FireMountainPrograms.com. FireMountainPrograms.com. And you can always email me directly at Aaron at FireMountainPrograms.com. Look at that. You got a direct email there, folks. That's a very rare thing. So, uh, <laughs> Aaron, again, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we could have this conversation and share your work um, and I, your wisdom, hard one. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm so glad that we were able to share this time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hunter. I appreciate being on your show. Thank you. Wow, 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 right? I mean, oh my goodness. It's pretty amazing, right? That even in the most challenging situations, our self-care becomes the number one thing. So stop putting yourself last. It is not doing anyone any good. Don't do it, stop it. And stop trying to go it all alone on your own. That's this crazy attitude. Human beings are, are meant to be doing this together. So. You know, if you're ready for the support, you're ready to dive in deeper, you're realizing maybe how important it is because look what can happen. Then learn more about the Mindful Parenting membership. Learn more about the work we do at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Get on the wait list. If you have some ahas from this episode, let me know. I really want to hear your ahas. I want to hear what you're taking away. You know, what's speaking to you. I love it when you share a screenshot, you know, of where you're listening to this. Like even show me where you're listening to this and like, let me know. Tag me. Um, my Instagram handle is at mindfulmamamentor. And I want to know, like, what are you taking from this? Because I took so much from this. I've been quoting Aaron Huey all over the place and when people interview me. So I'm wishing you a peaceful week, my friend. I'm wishing you well. And hey, I just want to let you know that later this week, special thing, Little Mindful Parenting Bite mini podcast is coming out. I'm going to do a series of these. So check back in your podcast player for that. Have some rest, have some chill time, get your sleep. And I'm sending you a big mental hug 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this movement. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I value your time and I value your effort and your energy and your thoughtfulness that you're bringing to, you know, raising a new generation of kids. Like this is valuable, powerful work. And I'm so glad you're doing it thoughtfully because I know if you're here listening, you're thoughtful about it. So thank you for being part of the healing and I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. And I'll be back on Friday with a short little Mindful Parenting Bite podcast. So I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.